Imagine That Studios and Karu Studios in association with Harper Voyager Books presents Tales from the Archives, Volume 1 The Official Anthology of the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences So, are we making progress with these lost archives? About as much progress as we made when chasing Professor Whitehall in the streets the other day. You are still upset about that? I cannot believe you stopped to sit your bloody watch. It was running fast. So was Whitehall. We just happened to be by the clock. But why at that particular moment? I said I was sorry. We almost had him. Miss Braun. <sighs> Remember our proper jobs? Yes, I know. And our next case is quite the mystery, as Dr. Sound apparently deemed it as a sealed record. That means we really shouldn't open it as the director wishes to keep it confidential. Oh, come along, Welly. If it's down here, how secret could Dr. Sound really wish to keep it? I have a feeling we will find out. The Sun Never Sets, by Val Griswold Ford. May 30th, 1859. Agent Isaac Martin frowned, looking first at the folded scrap of paper in the center of his desk, and then at the room around him. His fellow agents trickled into ministry headquarters as they normally did, following their own schedules. His partner, Agent Andrew Kensington had yet to make his appearance. Isaac realized that he, in fact, was the first one in that particular morning. In short, there was no way the grubby note should have been waiting for him. He picked it up in gloved hands and opened it. The script was childlike, probably scrawled by some nutter or, God forbid, his partner having a right laugh at his expense. The latter he was growing accustomed to, but the words weren't his style. This anonymous note piqued his interest. You must save the children. Do not let the new Westminster clock begin to chime. Intriguing. Everyone knew the new clock in the rebuilt Westminster Palace clock tower would be started tomorrow. But what was this about saving the children? What children? The princes and princesses would, of course, be at the ceremony, as Her Majesty the Queen and Prince Albert would be there. Isaac felt ice grip his belly as he sank into his desk chair. Could someone have planted something in the clock to take out the royal family? Breakfast that bad this morning? You should hire a housekeeper since you obviously cannot feed yourself. Isaac started at his partner's voice, and Agent Andrew Kensington laughed as he dropped a newspaper on his desk. So, what did you try and feed yourself this time, Andrew continued, his brown eyes twinkling. Please tell me you didn't try kippers, not with your appalling lack of cooking skills. What are you talking about? Isaac demanded, trying to bring his thoughts in line again. Andrew had a way of disrupting everything around him, and not only was Andrew aware of this talent, he reveled in it. The decidedly dyspeptic look on your face when I came in, Andrew said. 
You looked as if your breakfast was trying to climb Buck up out of your throat and run away. If you won't hire a housekeeper, then you'd better find a wife, and soon. You'll kill yourself if you have to eat your cooking much longer. My cooking is fine, Isaac said. I was thinking about this, and he tossed the note to his partner. Andrew's mobile face, normally lit with a pleasant smile, darkened as he read the brief missive. Where did you find this? Right here, Isaac gestured to the unusually empty desktop. They'd just finished a case involving a small ivory statue. He could still see the circle in the dust where the tiny dancer had sat while they catalogued the deaths she had caused. Someone left it for me. Don't look at me, chum. This, he said, waving the note in his hand, not my style. Confirmation. Isaac nodded, letting his breath out slowly. Save the children, Andrew read. What children? Isaac swallowed. The royal family will be at the opening tomorrow. The two agents looked at one another for a moment, and then Andrew shook his head. They'll never believe us, not without proof. Agreed, Isaac said, rising and grabbing his walking stick. Which means we need to go and look at the new clock tower. And do what? Andrew asked, as the two of them strolled out the front of the ministry building. Waltz in and ask for a tour? Why not? Isaac stretched out a hand and hailed a hansom. After all, you are to the manor born, aren't you? His partner's eyes rolled slowly. Ye gods, man, you really do know how to cut a man to the quick. Whether his second wished to acknowledge his lineage or not, Andrew's circles sometimes served them admirably in the field. His father, Lord Kensington, was friends with the chief architect, Sir Charles Barry, and that good gentleman himself was just alighting from his own carriage as their hansom pulled up. "'Andrew, good to see you,' Sir Charles' voice boomed out cheerfully through the morning air. "'Have you come to see the new tower?' "'Indeed, Sir Charles, we have,' Andrew introduced his partner." Isaac and I were wondering if there was a way we could look it over before the opening tomorrow. Would that be possible? Sir Charles frowned at them for a moment, and Isaac wondered what was going on behind the old man's face. Then he smiled again. Follow me, my lad, follow me. Isaac trailed behind Sir Charles and Andrew, looking over everything as the architect talked. The interior was beautifully designed, befitting the royal family, and incredibly gothic. But Isaac paused as he caught a glimpse of something square in the back of the room. What is that? he thought to himself, lagging a little more to get a look. It's not a lift, is it? Possibly? The other thought that immediately came to mind was more chilling. Why would there be a cage in the clock tower? A cage for what? The tower and the clock were designed by Augustus Pugin, Sir Charles explained as they began to mount the stairs. You've heard of him. Isaac shook his head, but Andrew nodded. His work is amazing. Sad that he didn't live to see this. Too true. Madness, they say. Sir Charles didn't say much more as they climbed up the stairs. The stone staircase wound up, 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 until Isaac thought his chest would burst from the exertion. They all paused at a middle landing, trying to catch their breath. Then Isaac looked around and his breath fled again. 
Fascinating, isn't it? Sir Charles said, and there was no mistaking the pride in his voice. It's the only clock of its kind in the world. Designed by Edward Beckett Dennison and George Airy. George Airy? The royal astrologer? Andrew asked, and Isaac knew why. Airy was a familiar name to the ministry, especially since it was rumored he was part of the House of Usher. They hadn't been able to confirm that, but still. The note left on his desk. The cage downstairs. Isaac wondered what the connection to Usher was. If it was Usher at all. Perhaps Airy was involved in something else. Yes, do you know him? Sir Charles said, snapping Isaac back to the conversation. Brilliant man, but a little odd. He gave the two of them a sharp look, at odds with his voice. Maybe more than a little odd. Andrew shook his head all sleek style. Only by a reputation. Isaac moved closer to the massive structure. It's amazing, he said a tremor in his voice. He wasn't sure if it was fear or awe, or a little of both. Can you explain it? I don't recognize this. And he pointed to a mechanism in the back. Sir Charles shook his head. Sadly, no, I'm no clockmaker. It's Denison's own invention, though. Something to do with pendulums and gravity, so that the winds won't affect the timing of the clock. Fascinating. Isaac continued to look around the mechanism. And then he remembered his fellows and looked back, slightly abashed. Sorry, I'm a bit of an amateur horologist myself. Are you? Andrew asked, blinking. I would have never guessed. Why not? Isaac said, rejoining the other two men by the stairs that continued to wind upwards. Because I always consider clockmakers as very neat, very organized men. Andrew cast a look on Isaac's rumpled pants. And you, well, a dear friend, are neither. Despite the fact that it was an old, old jab, Isaac flushed and snapped. Not all of us have the option of taking private handsomes everywhere. Sometimes things get wrinkled. Andrew blinked at him, and Isaac turned away. Never mind, he muttered. Isaac was a good enough chap, but the twitting about his wardrobe never ceased to annoy Isaac. Of course, in front of Sir Charles was not the place or the time to have a conversation that wouldn't do any good anyways. Andrew could always get to him. You'd be surprised, lad, Sir Charles said, laughter rumbling under his words and breaking the building tension. Remind me to introduce you to Dent. He's the chap who actually constructed the clock. Brilliant, but... He shook his head as his voice trailed off. Well, are you ready to see the top? Both Isaac and Andrew nodded, and they resumed the climb. By the time they reached the top, Isaac's calves were aching. The staircase emptied onto a large room, bounded on all sides by the back of a huge clock face. Another iron staircase wound up one corner to a wooden platform, but Isaac ignored it for the moment, going over to one of the walls to inspect the clock face further. Glass, Sir Charles said, as Isaac laid a gentle fingertip on one of the pieces. A very tempered glass, but very clear. This clock will glow in the sunlight. Along the bottom, written in gilt letters, was a Latin inscription. Isaac knelt down and murmured, Domini salvum fact reginum nostrum victorium primum. He squinted down further, looking at an odd stain that seemed to seep into the very stone of the tower walls. What does that mean? Andrew demanded, pulling his attention away from the stone. Isaac turned back to him and, rolling his eyes, translated, O Lord, keep safe our Queen Victoria I. Good Lord, man, did you learn anything at that upper-crust university of yours? 
I learned other things than Latin, chum, Andrew replied, losing a sly wink. I should hope so, since your classical training is hideous, Isaac retorted, cursing himself inwardly for once again rising to Andrew's baiting. That's why we're partners, Andrew said. You have the book learning, and I have the money. It's a perfect match. Isaac started to say something else, but remembered Sir Charles was there, and changed his remark to, Is that the staircase to the bells? Indeed it is. Sir Charles waved them up. There was little else to see after that, other than the large bells that hung in the top room. They went back down the stairs and thanked Sir Charles for the tour, then took another hansom back to the ministry. Once they were back at their desks, Isaac looked over at Andrew. Well? Andrew shrugged, his dark eyes hooded, the guise of the bored young aristocrat that he affected so well slipping away to the canny agent Isaac knew lurked beneath his skin. I didn't see anything overt in the tower rooms, but there was something odd in the bottom room. Isaac leaned forward. You saw the cage, then? Andrew nodded. I wondered if you'd noticed that. Tucked in the corner. I wasn't sure it was actually a cage, but if you think so as well. I can't think of anything else it might have been. Isaac leaned back in his chair, one hand toying with the note he'd pulled out again. Unless they're planning on installing a lift. Except I didn't see a shaft for it. So what would a clock tower need a cage for? Andrew looked over at his partner. Good question, Isaac said. I take it we go back tonight to find out. Andrew nodded. Until then, perhaps some additional research would be in order, yes, old chum? They separated soon afterwards, each on their own mission. Andrew had mentioned something about looking into disappearances of children in the last two or three days, just to see what he could come up with. Isaac had wished him luck, thinking it a fool's mission. Children went missing in London every day, with distressing frequency, especially from the poorer sections. His own search had taken him to one of his favorite places, the Royal Institute of British Architects of London. Augustus Pugin hadn't been a member, but there were plenty of his drawings in their library. The clerk had also given him some ideas as to the man himself. Brilliant but moody he was. The man shook his head as he pulled another set of drawings from a large, shallow drawer for Isaac to look at. And scared of his own death. I heard he did everything he could to put it off, and where did it get him? Nowhere. Died of the madness, he did. Then, before Isaac could say anything, he shuffled off into the back of the library. The madness, huh? How very interesting. Isaac filed that tidbit away as he looked over the drawings. The man had been right. Most of the drawings were brilliant, crisp and detailed. No hint of madness. Isaac wondered how suddenly the madness had come upon the architect, and for what reason. The drawings of the clock tower were fascinating, and Isaac poured over them, looking for any hints as to what might have been incorporated into it. The area where he and Andrew had glimpsed the cage was blank on the plans, and there was, as he had thought, no mention of a lift either. He frowned and rang again for the clerk. As the man shambled up, Isaac asked, These documents are brilliant, but I need something more personal. Do you know of any journals stored here as well? Journals? The clerk wrinkled his face. Not here, sir. If Imbugin kept a journal, his family would have it. We don't keep that kind of thing here. Damn, Isaac muttered, flipping over another drawing. 
This one was more hesitant, less flowing than the others, perhaps one of Pugin's earlier works. But when he checked the date, it was one of the last drawings the man had done. Was this the madness? He looked more closely at the designs. What he had thought was a church turned out to be instead a tomb. A very lavish tomb with the Gothic structuring Pugin had become famous for. But rather than room for a coffin, there was a bed. And the drawing was unfinished, the edges trailing off. Do you know who he designed this for? Isaac asked the clerk. There's no name here. The other drawings had all been named. The man shook his head. Possible it was his own tomb. That's a copy. The original was burned. Burned? Isaac blinked. Aye. Pugin found his clerk copying it, like he was supposed to do, and flew into a rage. Grabbed the original and burned it, then stormed out. He collapsed the next day. Never really recovered. But he didn't grab the copy. Isaac turned back to look at it. I wonder why. Because he was off his rocker, the clerk stated. Maybe, Isaac murmured, tracing down the lines. Or maybe there was something that the copyist missed. He pulled over the drawings of the clock tower again. It must be here. We just have to find it. Good luck, the clerk said. Whatever you be looking for. When Isaac joined Andrew at the pub later that night, it was with a sour expression on his face. Nothing, I'm guessing, Andrew said, motioning him to a seat, a brandy already in his hand. Nothing, Isaac agreed. Other than the fact that the man was brilliant and apparently obsessed with avoiding death, even to the point of building churches and designing a tomb that looked like a bedroom, although how that would help him, I don't know. He wasn't a member of the House of Usher, was he? Isaac shook his head. Not that I could find any hint of, no. If anything, I should think the house would horrify him. He was a devout Catholic, at least in the later years. Besides, he didn't leave a journal that I could find, sadly. Just his architectural drawings. His family must have his personal papers. Interesting. Andrew pushed a second glass towards him. And nothing mentioning a sacrifice in regards to the tower. What did you expect me to find? Isaac demanded crossly. A note on the plans detailing the finding of two dragons in the corner and the sacrifice of a child to soothe them? And when Andrew merely looked at him, Isaac sighed. There was nothing. No mention of anything out of the ordinary. What about you? Andrew shrugged. Just like you said, children go missing every day. But I did manage to find out something interesting about Pugin. Really? Yes, he had some interesting theories about architecture. Theories the Royal Institute probably wouldn't want anyone to remember. Pugin apparently held the belief that even if his body died, the architecture he created would remember him. Andrew grinned at Isaac. I have sources too, chum. The architecture? Isaac's brow furrowed. The buildings themselves? How odd. He remembered the clerk's comments about Pugin and relayed them to Andrew. Do you think perhaps his conversion later in life was penance? Or guilt? He sighed. I wish we knew who he'd been working for. It had to have been him, yes? We don't know that, Andrew said. It could be Airy, remember? We know he has ties to someone, and this does seem to be something Usher would be involved in. O oh Lord, keep safe our Queen Victoria I, Isaac murmured. That doesn't sound like Usher, though. 
and I'm convinced that's a key to this. He slapped his hand on the table. I feel like I'm missing something. This is so irritating. That is one word for it, Andrew said, sipping from his glass. The mason I spoke to said Pugin was fastidious about what was done with his drawings, and that he always visited to put his own seal on one of the first stones laid for any building he designed. Really? Now Isaac leaned forward, irritation vanishing. I wonder where the seal in the tower is, and what the seal actually looked like, and why he did it. Your sources didn't mention that, did he? No, Andrew said. He said the seal was always placed downward into the foundation, so it wouldn't be disturbed. Pugin laid it himself. Which doesn't help us, Isaac said, so we're back to the cage. Then he blinked. What were you doing talking to stonemasons? Andrew drained his glass, ignoring the question. Are you ready to leave? Time won't wait for us, you know. The tower loomed up into the darkness above them, passing from the glow of the gas streetlights into the dark night sky. Isaac pulled his gloves a bit tighter and looked over at Andrew, who nodded. See something wrong? Andrew murmured. No guards? Isaac said, then asked when Andrew gave him a disgusted look. What? There aren't normally guards here anymore, just the peelers, remember? Andrew pointed. I meant the light. Isaac blinked and looked up. There was a faint, faint glow, one he had attributed to the glass shining in the moonlight, but as he looked longer, he realized Andrew was right. The light was coming from the interior of the tower, behind the clock face. A frisson of something akin to horror crept down his spine. Let's go find out what's glowing in the clock tower, he said, and together they slipped across the street and into the door. The darkened room seemed to reach out and suck them in from the street. The tower's interior was black as coal, and they paused for a few moments to allow their eyes to adjust. Once they could see, barely, they headed into the dark corner. It's definitely a cage, Isaac said, running his fingers over the edge of the structure, for something large. Indeed, Andrew agreed, crouching down. It's bolted to the floor, too. This is part of the construction. He sniffed the air. There was someone in here recently. I smell sweat. He brushed his fingers over the floor. And blood. Blood, Isaac repeated, even as he leaned down, too. His fingers brushed against the stickiness. What is going on here? Then he realized what Andrew had said. Someone? You're sure it wasn't an animal? Andrew turned and handed him a very small shoe. I think it's time to see who's up in the clock tower and what that child is doing there. He cocked his head at Isaac. The children we need to save may not be royals after all. As one, they started up the limestone steps, their soft shoes barely making a sound as they moved upwards towards the flickering light above. Candles, Andrew breathed in Isaac's ear as they paused just below the landing to the clock room. They both poked the top of their heads over, just enough to see nothing. Just a single candle set atop the desk Isaac remembered from the tour earlier. The clock mechanism sat silently, waiting to be unveiled tomorrow. They must be higher up, he whispered. Then, as his gaze covered the room, he realized what he was seeing. What is that? What? Andrew hissed, but Isaac was already climbing into the room, intent on the scrap fluttering on the floor. 
He picked it up and smoothed out the wrinkles in the paper, noting almost absently that it was smooth like velvet. The words written in dark pencil fell into his mind like rocks. What does it say? Andrew said, and Isaac nearly jumped. Well? Isaac smoothed the paper again, careful not to smear the pencil marks. It says, You have to finish what I started, Charles. Charles? Andrew's gaze turned towards the ceiling. I wondered what he was doing in here earlier. That's not all it says, Isaac said, and finished the note. I know this seems barbaric, but it's the only way to keep the Queen alive. I wish we'd caught... He sighed. It's only a scrap. I wonder who they were trying to catch. The Queen? What does this have to do with her? Andrew shook his head. This is maddening. Something moved above them, and they both froze until the scraping ceased. Come on, we have to find out what is going on. As one, they began the ascent to the upper floor. Just before they reached the second landing, they heard the low chanting. Isaac shook his head. Latin, he whispered to Andrew, after listening for a moment. It sounds like the novena to the Blessed Virgin. What is he doing? The only way to find out is to go up there. Follow me, Andrew said grimly, drawing his pistol from underneath his coat. Isaac did the same, and they came up the rest of the way into the room. The room chilled Isaac to the bone. Underneath the eastern clock face was a rough wooden altar, one that could be dismantled easily and hidden away when no longer needed. A single white taper burned at each end of the altar, at the head and foot of a girl dressed in a simple white nightgown. Her face was pale, composed and calm, her closed eyes and deep chest movements indicating sleep, not death. Sir Charles, dressed in a long white robe as well, stood at her head, a long knife in his hand. "'What are you doing, Sir Charles?' Andrew demanded, his pistol pointed directly at the architect. "'How could you?' "'I'm doing what I have to, lad.' The deep sadness in Sir Charles' voice added to Isaac's confusion. "'We can't stop this now.' "'Stop what?' he asked. "'Who is she? Why are you sacrificing her?' "'Because I have to,' Sir Charles said, the knife not moving. "'If I don't, the Queen will die.' Andrew and Isaac both stared at him, jaws dropping. Andrew, as always, recovered first. What do you mean? Do you think I want to do this? Sir Charles gestured with the knife. If Pugin hadn't crumbled, hadn't given up and given them what they wanted, we wouldn't be here. But he couldn't resist. Had to put that damned seal in here, and now I have to fix it. Fix what? Isaac said. What did they do? It's a death clock, lad, Sir Charles said. They managed to incorporate the spell into the design of the tower itself. If I don't change it, don't insert my own part into the workings, when it starts tomorrow, it will run for exactly 90 days, and then it will stop. And when it stops, Queen Victoria will die. It's the only way to keep the queen alive, Isaac said, remembering the scrap and looking at the girl. Sacrificing a child to feed the clock more life, more time. His mind reeled from the implications. But it won't last forever. You'll have to... Yes, Sir Charles said. We'll have to keep sacrificing them. Only one per year once this child dies. Small comfort, maybe, but it will keep Her Majesty alive long enough to finish her work. You can't be serious, Andrew said, but Isaac shook his head. No, I think he's very serious. His voice trembled. That's why the Latin is there, isn't it? That's the catalyst for your change. Yes, Sir Charles nodded. 
We cannot change the clock mechanism. There is a bit of Her Majesty's blood worked into the metal itself. But if I can charge this protection, it will keep the clock running until her time is truly at hand. He looked down at the sleeping child. I did not want to do it this way, but Airy swore it was the only way. Airy, what has he done? Given us the only chance to save Her Majesty, Sir Charles said. I know your ministry's distaste for the man, but he is innocent in this. Except for the fact that he's condemning innocent children to die. Isaacs gave swept the room, finding again the blood stain that he'd seen earlier. There has to be another way. Certainly, Sir Charles straightened. We could demolish the entire tower. Of course, with Her Majesty's blood and the clock mechanism, there's no telling what the consequences to her would be. Would you like royal blood on your hands, gentlemen? Isaac ground his teeth together. And how did Airy find out about this? Pugin confided in him right before he died. He brought it to my attention. Sir Charles's free hand smoothed the child's neatly combed hair. Pugin had always been unstable, but to condone what he did, Airy couldn't bring himself to do this. And since it is my project, my responsibility... His voice trailed off, and he shrugged. I can't allow this to continue, Andrew said, his pistol not wavering. Not if you can't prove it. What proof do you want, Sir Charles said. Shall we wait the ninety days and have Her Majesty die? Will that convince you? Have your oaths to queen and country faded in your memory already? Even in the dim light, Isaac saw Andrew flush. Why a child, he asked, hoping to distract the architect long enough to figure out a way to get the girl to safety. If it is a death clock, surely a willing sacrifice would make more sense. Because a child, a female child, has the longest years to give. Sorrow and resignation colored Sir Charles's entire being. This little one went to sleep, and she'll never wake up. She'll walk into heaven, an innocent who gave her life to save her monarch. She'll feel nothing. The laudanum assures that. He glared at them. I'm not a monster, no matter what you may think. I wouldn't do this if I didn't have to. There are more things at stake here than even your ministry can know. And yes, I know of them. Trust me, gentlemen, the lives of four children weigh heavily on me. And yet, if I do nothing, if I step back and stop now, the lives of millions will be on all our hands. The Nameless Child, a face neither he nor Andrew would regard if they saw her again in the streets of London, slept peacefully, her brown lashes, long and luxuriant, lying against cheeks flushed with the health of youth. Isaac wondered who she was, where she had come from. She was clean, but her hands, folded demurely over her stomach, had calluses and pinpricks all over the fingertips. A working child, then, someone who wouldn't be missed except by the people who loved her. Isaac closed his eyes, one hand on his gun, and wondered if he could take her away from her family. Have you forgotten again your oaths to queen and country already? Isaac turned his head away, struggling with himself, although he kept his gun trained on the chief architect. Andrew, on the other hand, wasn't convinced in the least by Sir Charles's explanation. Step away from the girl, Andrew said, his gun now steady and still. Sir Charles looked appealingly at Isaac. You know what I'm saying is true. You have to let me finish the sacrifice. A child, every year... After the three, he must have already sacrificed and the girl lying on the altar. And yet, could he live with himself if he stopped it, and the queen, his queen, died, leaving chaos in her wake? 
Isaac, Andrew warned as Isaac's gun began to waver. Do not let him fool you. He is murdering an innocent child. To save the Empire, Sir Charles said. To save the Queen. The crack of the shot echoed through the chamber, nearly shattering Isaac's eardrums as Andrew fired. The bullet caught Sir Charles in the shoulder and spun him around. As they watched, he fell, his body slumping over the knife. Isaac froze, looking from the fallen man to his own partner. You must finish the spell, Isaac, Sir Charles said, pain harsh in his voice. You have to save the Queen. Shut up, Andrew said. The only one finished here is you, Sir Charles. Isaac looked over at the girl and then at the architect, who was looking pleadingly at him. Fear and horror flared in Sir Charles's eyes, along with a terrible resolve. He swallowed hard and looked at the girl again. Sir Charles's voice rang through his head. Have you forgotten your oaths to queen and country already? I've saved her in a way, you know, Sir Charles said. She's a middle child of six, working already as a seamstress. She'll never know again the cold of winter, the ache in her belly. As she saves the queen, so shall we save her. Isaac heard the scrape as Sir Charles pulled himself to his feet. Please, lad, I'll say the words, but I need you to finish this. Shut up, Andrew insisted. Isaac, we need to... The second gunshot echoed through the tower, just as loud as the first, and Andrew stared dumbly at him as the blood dripped from the hole in his chest. Isaac let the gun fall from his hand as his partner stumbled forward a step and then fell down to the floor. Isaac, he said, his voice cracking. What have you done? Isaac moved over to Andrew and knelt beside him. I'm sorry, Andrew, he said softly, but I had to. He waited until Andrew breathed one last breath and then gently closed his eyes. Once that was done, Isaac stood and, taking the knife from Sir Charles, went over to the altar. God save the queen, he murmured to himself, as he laid the blade on the girl's throat, and Sir Charles began his chant once more. Orinus Sancta Maria, Securi Miserius, Orinus Sancta Maria, Andrew Kensington's body was found drifting in the Thames two days after the tower clock officially started. While the cause of death was clear, his killer was never caught. Agent Isaac Martin never returned to the ministry, and Queen Victoria ruled over the empire for another 42 years. When she's not busy plundering ships for cargo, Valerie Griswold Ford is a dark fantasy writer who dabbles in all sorts of things, from epic fantasy to horror to paranormal romance. Her first novel, Not Your Father's Horseman, released by Dragon Moon Press, made Forward Magazine's finalist list for the best fantasy novel of 2005 and started her popular apocalypse cycle. She has also published several short stories in anthologies and podthologies, including Chronicles of the Order. Val is also an accomplished editor, having worked on two of Dragon Moon's Complete Guide to Writing Fantasy series, the anthology Rum and Runestones, and she's currently working on Spells and Swashbucklers. 
Find out more about her works and her podcast of Not Your Father's Horseman at vg-ford.com. For more from the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences, pre-order your copy of Phoenix Rising, a Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences novel from your favourite bookstore or online from Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com or the iBookstore. Original music composed by Alex White. Find out more at TheGearHeart.com. This podcast is protected by the Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, share-alike 3.0 license. For more information, visit creativecommons.org. Tales from the Archives. And imagine that studios, Koru Studios, Harper Voyager Production. I'm T. Morris. And I'm Philippa Ballantyne. Thank Thank you you for for listening. listening.